as, as many of you know, I'm the offspring of a kind of an odd combination of, of history and what probably most humans would consider uh, accidents and maybe, maybe some bad ones at that. Uh, my my uh, father, I won't go too far back, but my father uh, grew up working class uh, Australian in the suburbs of Sydney, which by the way later was where I was born, um, and was a junior high school dropout. At the age of 14, the world that looked best to him was surfing and motorcycles. And I was, I'm good for 50% of that. Uh, the motorcycles look much safer. Um, <laughs> and uh, so he dropped out, got some work, did what he wanted to do, and finally decided uh, he probably ought to get his GED. He goes into university, and it's interesting, he does so well at university, he ends up uh, getting a free ticket to Oxford for his master's program. And while over in the British Isles meets, meets my mother, who has an aspiring uh, teacher. They get married, and uh, you know how these things happen. Kids come along, and, uh, and, and that's what happens. So that, that's, that's me, and this is me, and I, <laughs> I, I think, yeah, I didn't grow the beard till after I was two, so <laughs> that's why it doesn't, doesn't look familiar. But, but the, 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 the really funny irony of this, this is taken in Sydney, um, maybe at a church my dad passed out, I'm not sure. But, but the irony of this, uh, you know, wearing this, this uh, little Asian suit is we had no idea at the time of our Asian ancestry, which is not a story I won't get into, but um, that, that was me. So um, uh, we, uh, we settled back, they'd been moving on, settled back in Australia. And as I was thinking back intentionally for this, what are the themes that have, have come about in my life that you can either say, you know, get credit for helping to make me what I am or get the blame, and there's probably a little bit of both. I thought, uh, my, my father is by no means the only person to influence me, but in ways I keep discovering, set an example um, that, that has profoundly influenced me and one of the things which I've already given you a hint of is he, he's got this insatiable curiosity. In some ways, I'd like to dedicate tonight to my dad. Uh, next month, uh, when he turns 84, he's decided it's probably time to retire. So he will retire um, after a roughly 60-year teaching career that has spanned the British Isles, uh, North America, Australia, and, uh, and various engagements around the world. It's pretty, pretty kind of interesting. And I thought, you know, one of the things that's marked his life has just been always looking for new stuff. And I'm not doing this exact thing that I'm going to tell you about, but there's something about it that really is a paradigm for life. He teaches, right now in his last semester of teaching, it's been for the last few years, he, he spends certain days in the classroom teaching undergraduates, and then he spends the other days of the week in school as an undergraduate. You see, so he, he's had like a biology major. He did a few years ago. Uh, he did, a, I think, he did or he's working on a physics major. He's planning on what he's going to do as chemistry major, um, and, and that kind of stuff. And he's always reading new stuff, always teaching new stuff, always talking new stuff. And it's been interesting. Never has he been someone to say to me, "Here's what you ought to do," but just by being what he what he is, I've, I've found so many points of contact along the way, which I thought was rather interesting. Anyway, one of those is he, he's always looking at what's out there that's new. 
And I just want to observe, I think I'm about four months, five months here. Notice stone step, backyard full of snakes and spiders. Do you see any parental assistance here? <laughs> Neither do I. And I thought, yeah, that, that's, uh, that's a lawsuit waiting to happen. Um, but but just, just this insatiable desire to get out and see stuff, and, uh, and, and that's just the way he's lived. And he's not, again, he's not the only person lived that way, but he just has, has been a key person in that. And I have memories over, now this is over quite a few decades, of, of castle trekking with my dad. And we've done castles in, in part, sort of western edge of Europe, Middle East, uh, other places, um, south, southern edge of Africa and so forth. Um, but this is the beginning of my castle hunting. I just do it now on feet instead of on four points. Um, so we, we went over, we, I, I grew up some years in Australia. By the way, we were back and forth. I won't go into all the details how. Uh, some years in Australia, on one of the trips going through the Suez Canal, and that's me as an aspiring sailor um, with uh, an Egyptian sailor on board. And uh, I, I, I chucked that career early. I decided it was time to move on. Um, but, uh, but that's sort of been typical of a lot of the movement in life. Uh, my style, I'm the one on the right here, obviously. My style has more been just, just kind of being out there. They finally convinced me I had to wear shoes. Uh, so I, I submitted to that. But that was a great stricture, in my opinion. Having to wear, I understand the clothing bit, but the shoe, thing bit, uh, shoe bit I just never quite got. Anyway. Um, I grew up in Australia, had a couple of interesting points. I'm not the one in the center. Um, I'm on the left. And um, <laughs> it's this intrigue that I think I've always had. And I can't identify a particular point, but just this intrigue at a lot of things. Um, and exploring takes a lot of different forms. There's not just, you know, you think of often exploring like places that have never been discovered. I'm not talking about that kind of exploring. Places that I haven't been, things I haven't seen, curiosities, and sometimes that are quite close to home, um, just, just sometimes fascinate me. Um, ko ko koalas are interesting, by the way. As you may know, they spend most of their life uh, chewing gum leaves that, that are, are, have a, an, an effect, a, a narcotic effect on them, which tells you something about their worldview. And, 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 and they're cute, but they do have sharp claws. Um, so, so this is just sort of evidence of stuff. Now, I, we, the next couple, I need to apologize. It's no one's fault. These were scanned for some slides. I think I'm about eight here. Still can't keep my hands off the wildlife. Uh, I think it's amazing. By the way, I draw the line at spiders and snakes. I hate them both. I'll never be at peace with them. But these birds, some of the many, many wild and exotic birds of, uh, that are all around the world, including Australia, uh, again, just fascinate me, especially when they scream at you, as I think these are doing. Um, we, we moved on. Now, here's, here's the situation here. We eventually left Australia. And no, that's not acne on the side. It's just a, a blip on the, on the picture. Um, I, I'm nine in this picture, and uh, we, we went to Hong Kong. My, my dad's plan was to teach in Taiwan. He had a job there, so when I was this age, we headed, headed up from Australia, headed up to Taiwan, and uh, this is, again, no, notice the parallel here. My dad's on the hunt. My dad's exploring. My dad's looking at new things. My dad's going to do new, you know, new places, and that kind of an ethos was very much passed down to me, 
um, which, is, which is, by the way, an interesting thing for living in Beaver Falls now for a third of my life, but I'm going to show you how to reconcile what seemed to be two different worlds, quite, I hope, happily. So anyway, we stayed, got, went through Hong Kong. It was supposed to be four days. It became almost half a year. My mother nearly died on the trip in circumstances I won't get into. And that did something wonderful to me. I've got just a couple pictures to show you of this. I'm about to go hiking in the mountains of Hong Kong is an island, and actually this is not the island itself. I don't know, this might be the island, but the trip I'm going on is on the mainland in which we went up on the edge of what was then uh, free Hong Kong. It was not yet you know, taken up by, by, by communist China. And uh, got to see uh, a world that I never got to see again until just last year when I had to wait 40 years. I actually got to step into the middle of it. So we went hiking and saw just um, amazing things I will never forget. Hong Kong, to me, was not a country. It was one massive, oversized, exploratory playground, okay? with things to see, people to see. Back then, it was a safe place to go as a kid. People looked out for kids. And I, I would explore things, and this on, on trips like this, we would, we would go poking for World War II machine gun bunkers that had been left tucked in the hills of Hong Kong. Uh, went to pagodas in the harbors of Hong Kong. At that time, not now, there were estimated to be 10,000 people uh, who lived on junks. Junks is a particular style of ship and boat that had never set foot on dry land. I thought, that's an amazing kind of a life. I didn't live it, but I got to stare at it, and it left its impression on me. Um, and uh, poking around uh, out there uh, for a while, this is a view. I want you to look at the background. This is the old Kai Tak Airway with Hong Kong uh, behind me in the mainland. You'll notice the, the runway is in the water. Can you see that? Isn't that wild? And so the way planes land is they come in back then between buildings and then would land almost on the water. Uh, that, that's the weird world of Hong Kong at this time uh, with, with me above pondering it. Thanks for your patience with the crummy quality. It's, again, not, not the fault of those who scanned it. It's, it was taken from some slides. But these things left a huge impression on me along with something else that happened, and it's now more than four decades in the past, but the timing of this trip turned out to be very significant. The year is 1967. I turned 10 when I was there. 66, 67 was the great Chinese cultural revolution. Most people don't know about that. They know about the communist revolution of 49. But what happened with the cultural revolution was huge internal political and particularly social upheaval in China that spilled over into Hong Kong. Now, I don't have pictures of it, okay? Although I took some, they're, they're lost somewhere. But I watched up close rioting, shooting, bombing, literally as, almost as close as I'm standing to you right here. It was almost like, I don't mean this disrespectfully, it became almost a spectator's sport um, it, with, a, with a tragedy to it of, of civilians watching the Hong Kong police try to instill order um, as many of the communist riders sort of drifted in from, from China and agitated for a bunch of purposes that, that I, I, I don't need to go into. Simply, it left me with this fascination of seeing people who were very much unlike me. One of the peaceful examples of this, actually a couple of them, is for the first time as a nine or 10-year-old, I remember being in a car 
right next to a slum. This is a slum where people lived in corrugated tin shacks, no electricity, no running water, open sewers, and a little probably four or five-year-old kid approached the car, had almost no clothing on. He didn't speak my language, didn't speak his. He simply held out his hand. And that was my first window as a middle-class educated kid into the world of, of much of the rest of the world. I sort of came to it, but it came to me. The driver of the car drove off, I think, to protect me from being hurt. I think that was a miscalculation on his part. But at least it was opening up a strange world out there and then forever left this curiosity, I wonder about them. And that's been through my life, always exploring the thems. It's not the places. It's pretty hard to find unexplored places. But there are unexplored people everywhere. And a lot of them are on campus right now. So you don't have to go far away. So the things that were happening to me in, in the growing up years um, you know, for, formed a way of seeing that um, was, was, was profound. One more story. I don't think I have any more Hong Kong. Uh, I don't. Don't lose that. Hang on. Um, one more story. Uh, we, on one of our last days in Hong Kong, took a hydrofoil, which is a really cool arrangement of a boat uh, on skis, over to Macau, which is a Portuguese colony. I remember vividly, as, as I ever can, um, I'm going to be, by the way, a great Alzheimer's patient one day. I can remember things 50 years ago. I just don't remember what I was doing this morning. So I'm, prepare, I'm preparing for old age. But I remember uh, approaching what was called the Red Gate, we were in Free Macau, and here was the gate that marked the entrance into communist China. And I, I, I left the group. My, my parents were behind me, and I walked towards the gate. I'm thinking maybe 40 yards. I don't, a little bit further than the back doors. And I cautiously approached, this is a 10-year-old kid, just wondering. And there was a tree on the other side of the gate, and the guard poked his head out and wielded his right. He didn't point the rifle at me. He just wielded his rifle and looked at me. And that message, along with the machine gun bunkers on the other side of the little river that separated us, was this message that said, you don't come in here, keep your distance. And forever left me with this curiosity of all these, did this sound change just change a moment ago? All right, I didn't, that's like, I'm not speaking with another voice here. Did, did you guys change something up there? Okay, it's not too loud, is, is that too loud? Okay, um, and, and, and just, intensified my curiosity as this curious kid wondering what the life of this armed guard, a young guy, probably in his 20s on the other side, whose job it was, if I came too close, uh, to shoot me. And uh, it was just an interesting little, little way of seeing. Um, so the animal world, this is, by the way, a pregnant kangaroo I'm uh, chasing down here. It was faster, <laughs> faster than me. This, sorry, it's a little bit out of sequence, my fault, not the other version. But uh, whether it's animal life or human life, it's just, it's been an exploring opportunity to see, uh, to see what's out there. Uh, a couple lessons growing up, I'm not finished yet, but a couple lessons of the growing up part, let me go there yet. Um, grow your knowledge base all the time. Don't ever think you can hit a point, or, or you shouldn't, hit, you choose not to hit a point, where you say, okay, I've got sort of the facts and stuff I need. I hope your life is one of exploring anything that comes your way, learning anything you can, adding to your diversity in your arsenal, because that to me is a taste of this massive 
diverse, phenomenal world God has made. And I hope this, this will be, a, it's become sort of the, the legacy of my family and uh, one that I, I hope I pass to you in other settings besides this. And watch people closely and ask yourself, what's motivating them? You learn that about yourself. What are, what's motivating other people that God brings into your life? And, and think about that. Back in the U.S., after the Hong Kong thing, we settled in the U.S. I'm going to hold on to this for just a few moments. Um, because the U.S. represented, every, to, to me as a, as a young, young uh, 11, 10, 11 year old, the opposite of everything I, I see here. Now, this is later taken, but it epitomizes something to me. Notice just the wildness of it all. We moved to the U.S. because my dad had connections here. We were planning to live here for a year and then move to Taiwan. It obviously never happened. And, and to my heartbreak, I hated America. And America seemed to hate me as much as I hated America. Now, I remember the age range, and part of it is an age thing. I found middle-class American kids self-centered, arrogant bigots. And, and I'm sure that's probably true of kids that age in much of the world. I'm sure it's not unique to the U.S. But America represented to me four walls. You have to wear shoes, you know. You have to sit in seats from like 8.30 in the morning to 3.30 in the afternoon. And that to me was, was equivalent of prison, okay? And, and why I have a lot of sympathy for, for kids who can't sit still, it's mostly guys. The girls get the sitting still thing down a lot quicker than the guys do. But I, 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 it doesn't anger me, I, I pity it, because I hate sitting still. You know, I, I just, and, and by the way, you're very patient. You're all sitting still tonight, which is very, very impressive. I, I, I find it hard to do that. Um, to American kids, I was a freak with a British accent, very, very strong British accent. And they, they never a day went by when they, when they didn't, you know, remind me of that. And it took me probably, I'm guessing about 10 years to lose my British Australian accent. Um, but I tried hard to suppress it because I wanted to blend in. Um, eventually, I don't know if I did a ton of work in high school, but I realized um, my, my observation on American kids, they didn't work very hard. They weren't very committed. And it seems to be a bit of an immigrant ethic. You work very hard in many ways to prove yourself to yourself as well as to others. And that's influenced my life as well. No one forced it on me. It's something that just, just, just grew and came about. I remember once being in seminary, we had an assignment to do. I don't remember what the assignment was. I approached the library door, and three of my seminary classmates were there, and they were griping about the assignment. You know how students gripe about assignments, right? I know you don't ever do it, but you've heard other people do it. And, and they were standing at the, door at the library there, and I listened for about 10 seconds, knew the gist of the gripe. You know, 10 seconds is all you need. You know what the gripe is about. I went in, did the assignment. Two hours later, I emerged, finished the, had finished the assignment, and they're still standing there griping. And I thought to myself, imagine if you could take the time that you spend in the unproductive frustrations and put those into something both enjoyable as well as productive. Uh, the potentials of life are, uh, they're, not, uh, they're not limitless, but they're certainly um, pretty large. Let me skip down a little bit to some of the other things. Um, I think many people are privileged, but in different kinds of ways. Some privileges involve having a lot of stuff. That's a kind of privilege. Some privileges involve having um, a lot of access to opportunity, and sometimes those two go hand in hand. Uh, but sometimes, now this is a funny thing to think about. One of the privileges that some people get are, I'll call it cautiously this, the privilege of pain in the growing years. Now, unfortunately, too much of it crushes people. That's the downside. But, you know, 
I've discovered, I, I just, you know, just talk to you guys, you know, all the time. You know, a lot of you have, have some, some difficult stories about your growing up years of all kinds, and the tales don't matter here. But one of the things that's really neat about hitting the adult years, you can take the pains and then you can reconfigure them to become your strengths. Two examples very briefly. ADHD, kind of leaning, hate to sit still, I've just turned that into productive energy, okay? Number two, accent gets ridiculed, I turned that into a PhD in linguistics. <laughs> you see? So now I make fun of other people. It's, it's fair. It's fair. <laughs> um, a couple of other thoughts. These, these are not totally uh, consecutive, and they're not totally cohesive, but they're, they're worth mentioning. Uh, over the years, I, I, was, I was a pastor, and three pastors have mentioned about nearly 20 years. And uh, that means uh, two things I've really enjoyed, and the same with teaching. Uh, I, I'm into learning stuff, and I'm into people. I like both of those things. It's a nice mixture. Uh, one of the ways I learned that was working at all places United Parcel Service when I was in seminary. And uh, we, you know, we needed to pay the bills and so forth. And uh, United Parcel Service was a great uh, time to make some good money part-time. And I didn't anticipate this, but about nine months into my employment, I was, a, I was a grunt. I was a loader, unloader, which was pretty beastly working in sometimes 120-degree trucks. It was pretty tough. But I became a supervisor, which gave me a chance to beat up other people, um, which was a good opportunity. But no, no, it wasn't. It was a chance to treat other people well and, and, and hopefully draw the best out of them. And it, I got to see life from two sides. The one was what I'd been the first year was a Teamster. You're a union member. Before that year, I had been in my mind anti-union. And my year in the union actually uh, led me to appreciate why unions are needed, okay? Flip side, working for management, I, I became, I, I kept my suspicions of management and, and of privilege, but I got to see that there are strengths and evils on both sides and in a fractured world sometimes. It's a kind of a stalemate of equals of differing strengths and differing liabilities, and sometimes you sort of work with the two. But, but aside from that, I learned something very important about life that's been a tremendous skill, and that is, I call it the salt and pepper principle. Most of us, I can't say all of us, most of us probably work well in whatever we're doing with two very different kinds of activities. The one is the mental, and the other is the physical. And I've discovered, you know, if you're, if you're all study, and no activity, it, it does weird, some of you are just weird. You do way too much studying, okay? And, and you need to get out, even if you're a lousy racquetball player, play racquetball or jog or, or you know, what, you do your thing, whatever your thing is. But often I find doing the both is actually the best way to live life. The mind is a tremendous gift from God, but you've got a whole body to go with it. And so accessing both of those, that's the salt and pepper principle, seems to me to be a good way to, to, to live life at, at whatever it is that you're doing. In the ministry, by the way, I learned um, in, in seeing a lot of good things and sometimes bad things from people I was helping, uh, a principle that's good for ministry but also for life. If you're someone who likes to help people, I hope you will, will, will do that however it looks. Do remember, no good deed shall go unpunished. And sometimes the people you help are the people who are least appreciative. Sometimes the people you help are actually the most aggressive, but they're only a small proportion of the bigger picture. 
and it's still worth taking the risk of stepping into others' lives because there's so much going on and so much you can do. You'll have different ways of doing it. Some of the lessons I come out with this are treat people kindly, truthfully, and generously, even when they're asses. And hopefully, when you make an ass of yourself, they'll return the same kindness. But in dealing with people, just to keep with my theme here, um, and to keep us hopping along, uh, explore anything you can, and that's not just places or animals, but it's also people. Um, this is fairly recent, as you can probably tell. Some of you are here the day we took the picture. Um, what, what, I'm, what I'm on is a 2,000-year-old mosaic that was built for the palace of Herod the Great. This is the Herod the Great that cried, tried to kill Jesus. And, and it's not, I didn't discover it, I mean, obviously I didn't discover it, but to me, to touch the tiles of someone so infamous, he, he walked on this pavement, he walked on this pavement. His wives, he had 10 of them, at least some of them, walked on this pavement. Um, this, is, this is a way of saying, I'm touching history. Reading about history is pretty good. Touching history adds a dimension that is, is just, to, to me, I, I don't know how to describe it. Uh, it's, it's phenomenal. It's, it's absolutely phenomenal because you're, you're, you're linking with people as well as forces, and uh, 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 it's just amazing. Um, a couple of years ago, uh, about, about eight years ago now, I got an email out of the blue. The email is from Sweden. And the email, I, to this day, I, no, I think I finally figured out how they got my, my name and address, but that's another story. But I got this email. The email said, we'd like to invite you to come and speak at this conference on the synagogue. I thought, that's interesting. Um, I don't know much about the ancient synagogue. And specifically, your assigned topic, if you'll agree to do it, is the use of Greek in the ancient synagogue. And I thought, I know nothing about Greek in the ancient synagogue. I, was, I sat down to type a response email of thank you very much for this kind introduction uh, and invitation, um, but I, I don't know the field. You ought to pass it to someone else. And a little, little voice in my head said, wait a minute. You don't, you don't know anything about the topic, but maybe you could find out about the topic and get really good at the topic, and then you'll have something to offer, because it was about a nine, ten-month lead-in period, okay? So reluctantly, I emailed back. I said, I'll take the topic. I went on to discover that year there's absolutely nothing written on the topic. <clears throat> it, it's, a, it's a researcher's ideal scenario, research without data. Okay? Yeah, it's, it means you can lie your way through it, but I didn't do that. But, but I, I did not do that, no. But, but sometimes the way you approach something is by not the direct approach, but by finding everything you can around it, and then seeing where that perhaps leads you to the center. And an interesting thing happened, which was a wonderful confirmation of that, is when I got to the conference the next year with a, with a fairly theoretical sociolinguistics paper, which was, I, I still think was a pretty good paper. Nothing's perfect, but pretty good. Um, I discovered to my chagrin, the man who was right up just prior to me was Emmanuel Tove. Yeah, that was, that was the shock. Emmanuel Tove is probably one of the top two or three uh, Jewish researchers in the world in the 20th century. Uh, that's all. And editor of the Dead Sea Scrolls. And I thought, this is just my luck. He's going to shine, and I'm going to look like an idiot. Okay? And Emmanuel Tove, kind of a small-built guy, gets up 
and gives this nervous smile to this, this hall filled with scholars. And he, his topic was the use of Hebrew in the ancient synagogue, so, we had, so it was even worse. We had these parallel topics. And I'll never forget his opening lines. He said, you know, he said, when they assigned me this topic, I thought to myself, I don't know anything about the topic. <laughs> it got better. He said, I, I didn't think there was anything about the topic out there. He said, so I did what any self-respecting academic would do. I went to my graduate students and said to them, what should I do? You know? <laughs> and they, they constructed a topic, and he had a good paper. And I thought, isn't that interesting? I, was, I went so fearful. I went fearful. I've discovered in my life a lot of the situations I go into there's a voice inside of me, and with some good grounds, that says, you really don't know what you're doing or what you're going to do or what you're going to say, but do it anyway. Because life is short. And just briefly, I'm going to mention this. Most, mo many or most of you heard this message last week in chapel on now. Do you realize it was only four or five days after that that someone who once sat in these pews, Josh Guthrie, um, met the end of his now. He was about 28. And many of us know him. Many of us know him very well. We knew him. We loved him. As with any good student, sometimes we wanted to strangle him, okay? Because <laughs> he had his frustrating side like you all do and like I do too. But the beauty of him, okay, is here's a guy who just wanted to love people. He didn't always know what to do. I, I talked him through lots of things where he said, I, I need to address them. I don't know how to do it. I thought, boy, that's about what a lot of my life is. I'm not sure how to do something or what to do or what to say or whatever, but I just know, like Woody Allen says, half a, 90% of success is showing up. And then often you figure out what to do, and that includes, listen to this, that includes exploring the people that are in your life. You don't have to go far. They're very, very close. So exploring, a few more thoughts. I'm almost done here. Um, it can be done from uh, a chair. Uh, I'm helping, this is a 2,000-year-old Roman aqueduct uh, with uh, one of our sons, my son Benjamin here. We were afraid it was going to fall down, so we're helping to hold it up, uh, by the way. Um, but, but it's, again, just this, this link with, with history um, that's, and, and just the brilliance of the design, which I won't go into, is, is an amazing thing. Um, a little explanation here, I know. I like weird things, you know. My life has been one of perpetual weirdness, and I admit that. I, I do admit that. But, but that's okay. You just, sometimes you're more weird than you, than you realize. And, you know, de Dead Sea, uh, Byron, what is it, 12, 1,400 feet below sea level? I can't remember. 13, so right between, so 1,300 feet below sea level. And, and I thought, this is, this is perfect. I'm in history. I'm with the, the bad globalizing thing of Burger King, Dead Sea, 1,300 feet below sea level, hence the lowest prices on earth, as they were, as they were happy to remind us. Um, life has strange twists of all kinds. Some things you anticipate, many you don't. I like Burger King at Dead Sea. Um, this is a place called Pingyao in China. Just briefly, I'm standing on a wall. Uh, now, this, this wall is new. It's only about five, 600 years old, but it replaces a wall around a 2,700-year-old Chinese city. When Hezekiah was king of ancient Israel, this city was being built. 
And you can't tell from where I'm sitting, but this wall is, is wide enough to drive two tractor trailers abreast around. It's a massive, absolutely massive wall. And I looked over the city, and what, a lot of what you're looking at, unfortunately, is pollution. Sad story in its own right. Houses, how many centuries or thousands of years old? I don't know. But this was the different world that I had wanted to step in since I was nine or ten and stood at that red gate as a child thinking, what's going on behind it? And here I walked through these gates, different location, into China. And that just said something to me about exploring things. Um, I'm fascinated with electrodes. I don't want to give you that yet. Hang on, <laughs> hang on, hang on. Forget you saw that. Erase it from your mind for just a second. Um, I'm fascinated by electronics, but I have a question for you. I know that electronics can help to broaden your friendship circle, um, and there's some exploration that goes with that. I'd like to see people use electronics to deepen their friendships. That's a different kind of a challenge. There's a place for both, but the deepening rather than the broadening is perhaps what is needed. Um, because that's exploring people. That's exploring motivations. That's exploring getting into the minds of people. Two short stories and I'll wrap up. Um, I don't have pictures, they're in a different format here, but uh, some years ago I was poking around a Roman amphitheater in Amman, Jordan. It's about an 1800 year old amphitheater, beautifully restored. And as I walked around this amphitheater, my first time to, to Amman, Jordan, I, I noticed three, three Arab guys just kind of watching me. They're, they're in their early 20s. And, uh, and they were almost humored by the fact that I was one of the very few Americans in Amman at the time. And you could just see them watching me. And I was kind of watching them, and I did, well, didn't feel threatened, but I, I knew they were curious. And as they poked around the theater, I put, we got closer, closer, closer. It was obviously quite intentional on both of our parts. And they looked at me, and I looked at them, and we just started talking. And it turns out I ended up spending the whole day exploring Amman, Jordan, uh, as their guest. And that was a wonderful day. In the course of the day, I asked them this question. It was my exploration of people. Uh, this is back before 9-11, by the way. I said to them, you know what most Americans think of when they think of Arabs? They laughed themselves silly and said, yeah, yeah, terrorists, we know. Uh, a sad irony later on. But anyway, I said to them, I'm just curious. What do you think about me as an American? And they gave an interesting two-part answer, which was, again, a formative kind of a thing. Uh, they said, America we hate, but Americans we love. And that was interesting. They were making a political statement, historical statement on the hate part. But this fascination with my fascination with their world brought us together in what was one of the most unique experiences I've ever seen. And I realized you can sometimes uh, filter out or need to filter out things about people and latch on to that which you can appreciate and love, because ultimately what you're looking at is the image of God when you look at another person. And that means, just as God is enormous, the things that spin out of God's mind are enormous, including the diversity of cultures, the phenomenal particularities and diversities of language, and the personalities of people. What unites us is the image of God. We need that in an atomizing, postmodern, globalizing world. We need to see the image of God in people. And I saw this image of God two years ago in one of the weirdest, a couple of you heard this story, one of, one of the weirdest picnics I have ever been at for, that I've been at some weird ones, trust me. 
Um, as you can probably figure out, I was in the Middle East, and I was sitting, it was a spring picnic, we were munching down roast octopus. It was really good. And the guy I was sitting with was a, was a Middle Eastern slash Canadian guy, and I said to him, I just kind of, yeah, I know, that, that's a, he was, he was, I'm serious. Uh, and I, I said to him, what's your story? He said, well, he said, I spent most of my life as a drug dealer. He had just left the business a few years earlier. And I said, a guy a few years older than me, I said, I said, oh, really? He said, yeah. He said, I was pretty high level up. I said, oh, so I, I was playful. I said, oh, you're like a Pablo Escobar. He said, no. He said, I was just below that level. Well, that was interesting, okay? Which is why the guy owns properties all over the world. And, uh, and, and I, I said, you know, what's, what's happening? He'd become a believer recently. And he said, well, I left the business, realized it was a horrible business to be in. Sooner or later, someone was going to get hurt. And, and he realized the legacy he was leaving his children, who are now all adults. And he realized, yeah, it's great prestige, a lot of travel. You got a lot of frequent flyer miles, too. Not bad. And you get octopus with people you've never met before, and that's always a plus. Um, but, but anyway, uh, he, 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 that's why he left the business, because he, he realized there's something more to it than the glitz and the money, which I thought was interesting. As we were chatting, I was fascinated by seeing a couple uh, I was estimating in their 40s, very handsome guy, very beautiful woman, but leathery, leathery faces. There was something intriguing, handsome and beautiful, and fearsome about their faces. And they were sitting on the grass just a few feet away from he and I, uh, where he and I were sitting, and playing with a little two, three-year-old girl. I inferred they were husband and wife. This was their daughter, and in fact, that was the case. And having heard his story, I said to him, what's their story? And he checks with someone, he says, he says well, they're, they're former uh, uh, PWK. I said, I don't, what's, what's that? He said, oh, they're, th these are former Armenian terrorists. He says, I think they've left the business. <laughs> I, I thought, I hope they have. Um, and, and, and part of the reason they'd left their zone was they realized for all the hatred they had of organizations and certain governments and, and people they would, uh, at least their organization, I don't know about them, would be happy to kill, they had life in front of them in the form of a daughter. And you start to ask yourself, not only the decisions you make now, where are they leading you? But the decisions that you're making now, where are they leading the people that you may give life to? And thinking a little ways down the road uh, is like exploring again, but it's exploring your future. And there's something to be said for a little bit of that. Not, you can't calculate it all, you can't know the future, but you can at least explore it. Um, I've heard it said, and I'll go to the last screen now, um, I've heard it said that, um, <laughs> it's not great. I did not create this. This was created about, yeah, it's, it's all my friends. And, um, <laughs> and my wife's thinking, who's the blonde in the left, you know? Um, <laughs> I don't know her. I, I don't know who that one is. I just know the rest. Um, but <laughs> I thought this, this, this is a little bit, you know, what, what life is about, is, is just if you don't have a new place to go to, you do have new situations, new knowledge, new people to check out. And you don't need to go far. You can find them in the room here tonight. And if I could leave you with something, if I were, you know, making a, a last lecture and saying, uh, you know, what, what would I like to see you do? I think it's something like this, however you want to configure it. Uh, explore life. Explore this phenomenal world God's made and engage it. Step close to it 
Step close to the people in it. Step close to the knowledge in it. And when you've taken one area, explore and find another. You'll never, never run out of opportunities. Father, thank you so much for a chance to talk to people that I care very much about and a chance to express a little bit